And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome, gentlemen, to the United States. Let a lot of monkeys leave their messes on the floor, huh? Have they been fed? Raw steak or something? Uh, the zoo tells me that chimpanzees, like all apes, are vegetarian, sir. They suggested oranges. Good God. What would astronauts be doing in a zoo, Mr. President? They are not astronauts, General Faulkner. They are apes. Chimpanzees, to be more precise, they're harmless, friendly, and by all reports, extremely intelligent and sophisticated creatures. But naturally, being animals, they cannot tell us where the ship came from or how they came to be in it. Two, two, Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks Planet of the Apes Month. And this is the second entry in the monthly Mondays of Planet of the Apes Month, which is actually the third movie in the Planet of the Apes series. <laughs> it's so confusing, but I'm 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 it's so confusing I can't handle it alone, but luckily I have Scott Gardner here. Maybe to help sort through this, and it doesn't look like he might be a lot of help actually. <laughs> yeah, I wondered if you were going to mention it. When you said it was the second week, I'm like, yeah, it's the second week, but it's the third movie. Uh, and there's yeah. Back to the Bins coming out with comics. It's it's all monkey. There's monkey wrenches being <laughs> all over the place. It's just a bunch of monkey business. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yes, if you are listening to uh, Two True Freaks Apes Month, be sure that you are also listening to uh, our sister show, Back to the Bins. It's... Uh, we're, we're, we're acting like companion pieces for each other through this entire thing because over there on Back to the Bins, we're covering uh, the different incarnations of Planet of the Apes comics and uh, good stuff. You will enjoy it, so be sure that you're listening to that as well. But yes, I, as I was just mentioning to Chris just before we hit the record button, I am so psyched because... Of the movies that we're covering for Apes Month, as I explained last time for anybody that uh, that didn't listen to the last episode, um, we skipped the original movie, which might seem really weird. But see, we did a commentary for the original movie ages ago. So we skipped the original movie. We figure that the original movie ha- has been well covered, right? So we're kind of focusing on all the other Apes movies and so and I can't, of all the ones that were I'm sorry I can't remember if it's episode 95 or 96 but I highly recommend listening to it because I forgot that was recorded when I was down visiting you that's so right we're hanging out yeah. in your living room eating Boston Market and watching Planet <laughs> of the Apes so a good time was had by all that must have been right around Christmas time I yeah. think yeah yeah geez I forgot all about that you're right because there was a handful of them that we recorded because we did like 
Phantom Menace, and I forget what all. Yeah, all of a sudden it was really easy to do it. We did. That's when we did our Dark Knight Before Christmas commentary. Oh God, that's <laughs> right. Oh my God, so yes. A fertile time for because it's so easy. To, it's so much easier to do a commentary when we're just sitting in the same room. You don't have to sync anything up. Yep. You don't even have to lay the sound bed of the the movie, and it's coming off the TV. It was great. Yep. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Got to get you down here to do that again. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm super psyched for this one because of the ones that we're going to be covering for uh, for Apes Month, with the possible exception of Rise, which I really really like. I, I'm a huge fan of Rise of the Planet Apes, but of the uh, original sequels, you know, because it was originally a, a five movie set of the original movies, original sequels, uh, Escape, the one that we're covering tonight. This is my personal favorite. I love the hell out of this movie. I've seen it so many times I could practically quote it to you, but I went ahead and I watched it again yesterday just to make sure I had freshy fresh notes for this one. So totally ready for this. Before we get into it, though, as I mentioned again last episode, uh, I did finally complete the book that I was talking about a little bit last time around. It's a book that uh, I, I purchased it on a whim. I had heard of it some time ago. I'm not sure what year this book is. Let me see here. Uh, here it is. First printing was July 2011. So it's just a few years old. Uh, this is a book by Andrew E.C. Gasca is the guy's name. Never heard of him before, but he's the author on this. It's a book called conspiracy of the planet of the apes and it's very deceiving because when you look at it it looks like a hardcover graphic novel and that's what i thought that it was for the longest time and i do believe that i have heard it described as a graphic novel it is not a graphic novel what it is is it's basically like a coffee table sized novel that has illustrations in it as well so but not graphic novel style it's like every few pages there's like a fully rendered painting on one page and uh and really really nice paintings too some of the artists they got for this are just incredible they got jim starenko mark texiera uh dave dorman who's done some really uh great uh i think he's the guy that's done so many of the great uh star wars uh covers if i'm not mistaken uh, Matt Bush. Um, there was another one I wanted to throw out here. Now I can't remember. Oh, Joe Jusco is one of them. But a whole ton of people. A lot of them I've never heard of, but the art is fantastic in this. Um, but like I say, I finished it, and I really enjoyed it while I was reading it. Unfortunately, I felt the ending kind of peters out. Um, in a nutshell, essentially what this book is about is it's... It's giving you the story behind the story of what's going on with other characters while Planet of the Apes proper and the beginning portion of Beneath the Planet of the Apes is happening. So it really focuses in very tightly on Landon, who was one of the uh, the other uh, astronauts that came to uh, the Planet of the Apes with uh, Taylor. It focuses on Dr. Milo quite heavily, which I liked because Milo was the ape that, as we'll see you know, with the movie that we're going to get right. into here in a moment, he was the one that salvaged the spaceship. He was Dr. And, Milo's super genius. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it explains a lot of that, of how he even found out about the ship in the first place. 
uh, let alone how he was able to salvage it and everything. Uh, really enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. It was very original. Um, there were I had some qualms with it here or there. Uh, I'm tempted to. I'm just kind of kind of discuss it in the broad strokes because I'm tempted to do a full episode on this at some point if I can find the time to do it uh, and be a little more spoilery. I'd be very curious if there's anyone um, in the listening audience who's actually read this book and would be interested in in doing uh, you know a, a full segment, maybe not a full episode, but a full segment on it. But needless to say, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was really good. Unfortunately, the the big hook for me with this was I didn't know it going into the book but I realized it as I was reading the book is that essentially this book feels to me like the author wanted to kind of explain some things like how the hell did they wind up on the planet of the apes in the first place they were supposed to be going to another star system how did they wind up right back on earth how did Brent and his captain how did they find and and parallel the course that uh, that Taylor took so that they wound up in the same place. How did Milo even find out about the spaceship, let alone salvage it? Uh, and different questions like that. So I enjoyed it from that angle. Unfortunately, it's not so much that the book runs out of steam, is that it just kind of ends, and it ends just shy of answering the big questions I wanted to know, like, how did... Okay, so you explained to me how Milo found the ship and how he was able to salvage it. How did Zira and Cornelius wind up wrapped up in the whole thing? Right. How did how did it become the three of them? That's never really addressed at all, which is a shame because that's one of the things I was really hoping uh, was going to be part of the story in this. But unfortunately, it ends way before that. Um, we get a lot more of the mutants, which I thought was very interesting. It kind of shades their character a little in a little bit better. Uh, and of course, a lot more of Landon and his backstory, which uh, was both good and bad. I, I liked learning more about his character, but he comes across as a bit of a wuss in a lot of ways. And there's this weird thing going on in the beginning of his story where I don't know if it was because something snapped in him psychologically or if it was because he was somehow damaged in the hunt. But he, like Taylor, loses the ability to speak. And that, I thought, was a little bit too far, you know, right. that both he and Taylor had suffered, you know, something where they they could talk, but they suddenly they couldn't. And it was just kind of strange. Um, the reason why he couldn't ends up being really kind of strange. And he essentially he becomes for a time kind of a pawn of the mutants, which was really strange because... If they were going to use anybody, you would think that they would use Taylor. But, of course, they can't do that because that's not the way the movie went. So, But I, I enjoyed it, though. I really liked it. I thought the characters uh, really came alive in it. Uh, the characterizations were really good. And uh, and it is a solid read. And I, something I didn't realize, but uh, according to you know the little blurb that's written up here in, you know, on the inside cover of the book... You know, the, to get you to buy it essentially says that this is the first ever original novel set in the continuity of the 1968 original movie, and I didn't know that. I, I for some reason, I just assumed that there had been Planet of the Apes novels. I thought but I there guess had there been weren't too. any original ones. I know there's um, novelizations of the movies. Right. On that subject, because I, I enjoyed rewatching the movie that we're about to discuss uh, so much. 
I knew that somewhere in my collection at one time I had the novelization to escape and I oh, never really? read it. And I was hoping that I still had it, but I couldn't remember having seen it in a long time. So I did some digging around the other day and sure enough, I still had it and I dug it out and it's great because the cover on it is that classic poster of it's like an old timey photograph. Uh So you've got Cornelius standing while Zira and the baby are sitting like posing Mm -hmm. for a for a photo. I love that cover. That's that's, uh, the cover of the soundtrack album, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I've just started reading that because I finished Conspiracy uh, yesterday, and so I've just started reading the novelization, which I've always wanted to do and just never did, but I figure I'm in an ape's mood, so I'm going to read it and see how I like it. I um, I have one novelization, but it's for Battle. Oh, do you really? Yeah, written by David Gerald. Because I've got, it turns out, I didn't even know I had it, but it turns out I have a coverless copy of Beneath, which I'll probably read at some point. And then I've got a really good copy of Escape, which I'm reading right now. And then I knew that David Gerald did one of uh, either Conquest or Battle, hell, maybe he did both of them, I'm not sure. But I don't have either of those. The one that I would like to have that I don't have is Conquest, because... I have a renewed curiosity with Conquest. Now, of course, I've rewatched the movie in preparation for these shows that we're going to be doing, but I'm interested in kind of the story between the lines of the movie because the comic adaptation adds a lot to it, you know, a lot to the story, as does uh, Escape as well adds a lot to the story. Um, It gives uh, essentially... And uh, you guys that are listening, go if you're not going to or if you're not a member of our Facebook page, be sure to join up because I posted a ton of pictures today from the, uh, the Marvel Comics stuff. And I posted the entire opening sequence of the Marvel Comics adaptation of Escape from the Planet of the Apes. And for like the first, I think it's five pages, it's entirely different than the movie because the movie starts with them finding Taylor's ship, you know, washing up on the beach. But the comic adaptation, and I'm led to believe the original film was going to start this way before they decided to change it, was the film actually starts with the ship lifting off from Earth, you know, Earth of the future, being hit by the wave when the Earth explodes and everything, and tossing the ship back through time. All the while, the astronauts are helmeted, so you don't realize who they are until, you know, like the movie, they wash up on the beach, take off the helmets, and, you know, they are who they are. Yep. But I think that's neat that you're kind of getting those those DVD extras it in was, the adaptations. It was scripted and filmed, and there's photos of it. There's a, there's a video on YouTube where somebody reconstructed it from the dialogue. Right, yeah. Yeah, I saw that too, yeah. Kind of cheesy, but it was it was it was interesting to see what they were thinking. You know, somebody uh, I think it might have been Tim Elliott. I'm not sure, but somebody had mentioned on Facebook today because again, I, I I've been all over the Facebook group today, and uh, I started another thread. Which uh, chime in on this thread, guys, because I'm really curious for what you guys want to want to you know see us put up in the future on uh, on the feed. But I put up a feed about, uh, or excuse me, a thread about, you know, what future month themes would you like to see us do? Because I kind of like, I'm enjoying being off format right now. It's very liberating. And somebody mentioned uh, possibly doing a, a Logan's Run month 
between the movie, the comics, uh, the TV show, and whatever else. I don't know if we could make a full month out yeah. of that, but I like the idea of doing the film and the comics. Maybe some point in the future, if we could ever find the time. There's a book uh, and I a sequel love... to the book, too. That's true. That's true. Well, I would love to do uh, a full look at the comic adaptations of Planet of the Apes. Because I, I like the way that we're doing it on Back to the Bins, you know, the format that we've chosen with picking random issues uh, from the different incarnations in the different series. But at the same time, if we had the time, which we don't at this juncture, unfortunately, but if we had the time, I would have loved to have done a separate series of episodes doing a full examination of the five adaptations because they adapted all five movies which is something i didn't realize until i actually sat down and read the uh, the old marvel magazine that they did actually cover uh all five of the th of the films so that would have been interesting to parallel our commentaries with you know doing an episode focusing on the comics as well because the comics are really good in most cases the art can vary here and there but what i like is Again, it owes back to when we were doing, you know, the uh, the Marvel Comics Star Wars adaptations. A lot of times the adaptations threw a lot more stuff into them than what we ended up seeing on the, on mm -hmm. the screen with the finished film. And I love that sort of thing. I miss that, you know, I miss the days where we had uh, comic book adaptations of films like that. Just don't get them, you know, quite that same way anymore. But they're, they're really good for the most part, especially... Uh, Especially Escape. I was uh, really pleasantly surprised by that. Some really nice covers on the issues that cover the I wish uh, they the... weren't so expensive. I'd be hunting them down on eBay. I, I, I started looking them up and was just like, oh, nope, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I have nowhere near a complete collection. I have, oh, I don't know, maybe half or maybe two-thirds at most, but I have nowhere near a full collection of them. Um, but I got lucky a few years ago. As a kid, I only ever owned one issue. Uh, but a few years ago, I lucked into, uh, a, I think it was a flea market or something where a guy had like a box of them and I bought the whole box for relatively cheap, but again, nowhere near a full collection. I've always wanted to complete my collection of them, but yeah, they yeah, are crazy expensive these days. Yeah. The only way I've ever had a chance to, to see and read all the issues is that, uh, you know, they are out there to be downloaded, but beyond that, yeah, uh, I, <laughs> They are really hard to to purchase just because they are they are quite expensive in the bag. the The cheapest I see for individual back issues is on average about twelve bucks, yep. which yeah, it's a little pricey. It's a little pricey. But anyway, uh, oh, one last thing. Once again, uh, big 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 thanks to Tim Elliott for being our official sponsor yep. of Planet of the Apes Month. We do sincerely appreciate it, Tim. And with that said, I think uh, I've gone on long enough. Are we ready to go ahead and jump into this sucker? Ready to throw a monkey wrench into Escape from the Planet of the Apes? <laughs> I should say so. All right, you monkeys know the drill. <laughs> I'm going to count down from three. When I say go, we're at zero, zero. And you will push play, and I'll push play, and we'll all push play. And the monkey antics will begin. <laughs> and I'm just trolling the, the, the apes right now by calling them monkeys. I, I do realize I'm doing that. I, I, I'm a jerk. All right. You racist yeah. prick. <laughs> Three, two, one, go.
Here we go. All right, right off the bat, I got to say it, got to get it out of the way. I'll probably say it 15 more times at least, but uh got to say it right out of the gate. I love the score to this movie. Easily one of my favorite film scores. I really like it. And what's funny, the first time I saw it, I don't think I liked it the first time. Because it was sort of twangy 70s. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of janky jank, you know, 70s stuff. But it has grown on me immensely that, to a point where I really like it. Did you notice, as cool as the ship looks, I love the, the beat-up, weathered look of the thing. It, it's not the full ship. It's actually just like the nose piece, like the crew compartment right. portion of it. But then again, maybe it like jettisoned or something. That's what I'm thinking. It was segmented or something. Plus, I think this is what we're watching right here is the biggest part of the budget for the whole movie. Oh, yeah. It was probably building the replica of the ship and maybe the set. That's, <laughs> Which James, probably... B's, that's James B. Psyching from, what was that show he was on? Hill Street, Hill Street Blues, Blues, I think. He played... Uh, that captain in Star Trek Three, the one that pursues Kirk yeah. with the Excelsior. Is he going to tell That's... everybody to be careful out there before he sets <laughs> them out? You see, here's here's one thing I just noticed. You can tell that they've that they've driven those jeeps over the terrain. There's fresh like oh, jeep yeah. tracks all over the place. It's just like, but still, now, this thing when they dra- when they when they start dragging it out of the water, it um. It looks, it looks like good. it's it maybe it is made out of metal or something because it looks heavy, you know? It doesn't look like it's made out of balsa wood or anything like that. I'm it, presuming they're using the same one from the first movie, possibly not, but if they are using the same one from the first film, then the one in the first film was actually made out of plywood according to the documentary. Uh, well, it seems Now it's is got this the same stretch of beach from the first film? Maybe if I think it is. You see, I think this is. I think the reason they probably didn't have that first sequence in the beginning of it is they wanted to start out. You know, they they started out the first two movies with the beach. You know, and uh, right. so they could you know do a consistent beginning. I would swear that that's the same stretch of beach. I'd like to know that for sure, but I, I think it is. See, I think the ship looks really good. I bought the uh, the Blu-ray set of this not long ago. I got it for Christmas. I bought it for myself, but my wife said, all right, that's your Christmas present. I'm going to wrap it up. So she made me wait till Christmas to open it. But uh, I got all five Apes films, Blu-ray, with tons of bonus features on it, 20 bucks. Wow. Yeah. That last shot with the from behind of the helicopter where the camera tracks down while the or up mm-hmm. while the track... That would be done with C. I, I watch that and I feel it feels just like a CG scene to me. And then I'm like, no, this is the old days. Yeah. That would, they really did that. It was really nice shot. I've seen that in another film, and I can't for the life of me remember what the other movie is that I've seen that same shot with a helicopter. But it's funny because there's some there's some filming in this. It's right up to the sort of big screen Planet of the Apes cinematography. Mm-hmm. And then there's some that just has that second unit TV feel to it too. Yeah. And it almost alternates in this actual scene. Like there's this this looks like real cinematography, but then like the close up of the the um um winch pulling it in 
just had a canned look to it. It's you could tell they cut the budget, but they were smart by <clears throat> making a story that you only have to make up three people in ape makeup. This is one of my favorite movie openings oh, ever yeah. right here. Absolutely love this. Oh, I love it. I love the music. We got Roddy McDowell back as Cornelius. I absolutely love that. The guy in the glasses right there, by the way, that's M. Emmett Walsh, played the uh, the father of the Flash on the old uh, Flash TV show. I like that both... I mean, of course, you know, the, the, the only two real main characters in this are Zira and Cornelius, but I love that they're the main characters. So both Roddy McDowell and Kim uh, Hunter really get to shine in this movie. Yeah, and they do shade their characters a little more in this, you know. You could, oh, yeah. They, they play off the... I like this guy's reaction. Huh? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, Take right. a look. Huh? He always plays a dick in everything I've ever seen. Because he looks him like in, a dick. He does. Yeah, he looks like a high school principal or something. Yeah. I love the music, man. <laughs> I love it. Great score. This and this movie has Star it's... Trek cred, huh? Here's another thing I noticed. There's so much footage of of military vehicles turning mm -hmm. corners they're, they're always all the, whenever you see cars in this movie I don't know if it's a thing because they never had any long stretches of roadway to shoot on or whether it was just something a theme that they wanted to put into it or something but they're always like they're always just like whipping around corners almost looking like their tires are going to come off the ground Right. See, I'll point it out every single stinking time it happens. <laughs> See, this was the one they used to play on TV all the time. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid yeah. on CBS, which was, see, they're coming around the corner, turning, 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 just always turning. That probably owes in a lot to why I like the first three so much. And, and really, I don't think I ever saw four and five until they came out on video because i don't remember them playing four and five on tv four especially because it was very violent for its time yeah this one ended up on tv a lot yeah and, i saw this one on tv and i think this one appeals to kids a lot more because it's a it's a fish out of it's it's comedic a lot of it it's a it's a fish out of water story for a lot of it until it decides it has to be a, a Planet of the Apes dystopian well, humans are what pieces I of shit movie. <laughs> it's it's a great uh, it, it's a great study in duality because you know the first half of the movie is very light, it's very comedic and everything, and you can track perfectly the moment where it takes a very sinister turn yeah. and becomes a completely serious and, and rather dark movie, especially the ending. But yeah, it is. I mean, you've got the best of both worlds with this. Well, when we were kids, that was the thing. It was, it was the apes. It was, it wasn't the story it, to me anyway, it was the apes and how they, they acted and how incredibly lifelike they were, you know, with the makeup and, 
you know, the it was just so amusing. I mean, this is definitely the source. This movie in particular of my of my monkey madness. This same scene is played out in at least three of the films. Because there's a scene like this where Zira feeds one of the humans in its cage in the first movie. And then there's a scene in Rise. Oh, yeah. Well, I think they're where totally... they give they're... one of the apes something and he immediately puts his hand right back out again. The, this, I love that. This movie is is just playing off the first movie in so many ways. You know, it's like, here, here we go, the mirror image of the first movie. Instead of just Taylor, though, we've got two apes. Well, three apes mm-hmm. now, but you notice he didn't get his... <laughs> the actor didn't get his name next to his ape in the credits, opening credits. Right. A little hint about what might happen. <laughs> but they can I mean so, so those those guys could communicate so much through that makeup it, it was amazing I thought it was strange that nobody you know you, you don't have a moment where nice haircut dude <laughs> yeah that's just he's got like the pilgrim cut there's not a moment where anybody question, like any patrons of the park, question the the presence of two marines standing guard, you know, outside the the zoo infirmary. But that is actually mentioned in the comic adaptation. I thought was cool. It's John Landis. It's so funny that that like the the gorillas that are supposed to be quote unquote real gorillas are way faker looking, <laughs> right? Than than the you know the the ape thing and i can't believe that people aren't just like this guy isn't way more freaked out by dressed apes with human you know human proportions and stuff like that i mean i immediate instead of being like oh these are dumb apes or whatever i'd be like these guys are smart <laughs> you know right well, from the plus the there's start. no denying that they they look evolved yeah you know so you would not think that they would rush them to a zoo, that they would no. take them to, you know, the, the, to be, you know, uh, dissected or, I don't know, something. Their body language is, is, all, is the body language of intelligent actors. <laughs> right. I mean, you don't see animals sitting in the zoo, pe- sitting pensively. Right. Like he is, like Dr. Milo is there. I'm both simultaneously impressed and annoyed by the fact that they really don't explain a whole lot as far as how the apes got there. I mean, they talk about the mechanism of time travel, but they don't talk about, okay, why were they in the ship? How did they salvage it? How did they get it to fly again? And why these Where were they three, going? They don't address any of that stuff. Yeah, where were they going? Exactly. I, I kind of like that because... You don't really need it. It doesn't feed the story. But then, like I say, simultaneously, I'm annoyed by it because the geek in me really wants those things shaded in. I want to know, wait, why them? But you have to admit, it's pretty clever. After the way that they left the story at the end of the last movie, (laughs) to, to take this route for a sequel, it is pretty clever. Oh, yeah. It, they wrote themselves into a corner. Mm-hmm. 
I love the subtitles on this. Tiger roars, elephant trumpet, bear roars. <laughs> oh, the driver gave me this uh, report from the airbase. Better read it before we start the test. Your classic 70s. Yeah, it's the usual imitated behavior mimicry. Natalie Trundy in the second of the uh, Apes films that she's in. I looked her up, by the way, because um, I talked about her a little bit in the last episode. She is in all of the sequels. Not she's not in the original film, so far as I could tell. But she uh, she is in all of the sequels. So she was one of the mutants in the last movie. Maybe and then maybe the, that mutant was a descendant of hers. <laughs> and then in the two following sequels, uh, Conquest and Battle Four, she's uh, Cornelia, or excuse me, uh, Caesar's uh, girlfriend, and then eventually his wife. So she's an ape. She's an ape, yeah. Oh. See, immediately they notice, like, the body language. Right. That guy's just so doofy. It's weird. I can't. I couldn't tell if they were trying to make him a jerk or if he was supposed to be a... He seems like a decent guy. I don't know, maybe I'm just used to movies these days where he'd be a complete, like in Rise, where his character is a complete right. asshole, kind of torturing the animals and stuff. Right. Where this guy has is like uh, what a real zookeeper would be like, like compassionate. This is a little strange, though, that they're just like, well, they look Dallas, so let's just walk in. <laughs> yeah, I think that every time I watch this, like, no, you know, real chimpanzees could rip you limb from limb, yes. so let's exercise a little bit of caution. They like to remove your face. Here's an interesting bit of trivia specifically for you, Mr. Honeywell. Ooh. So the actor right there conducting the test, that's Bradford Dillman. His second wife was Susie Parker. Does that name sound familiar at all to you? Uh, there's a Beatles bootleg yes. where they're singing yes. about Susie Parker. That's right, and it's about her. Oh, really? She was a model, and it's an unreleased Beatles song, a bootleg Beatles song called Susie Parker, and it was specifically written about her. His, his second wife. I think that's really cool. That's interesting. This movie has so many threads and ties to other interests of ours that it's scary because it has, as I will be pointing out, it has Star Trek cred all over the place, but it also uh, has a connection to the Titanic, another uh, interest of mine. Huh. And other ones, I think, as well. See, this stuff was just catnip to me when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Look at that monkey go. Did she wink? Did she turn and wink at Cornelius yet? Because I, I always like that part. I'm not sure if we've if we've seen it yet. I think she did that already. I love that part. There's that little look on her face. Like, watch this. <laughs> well, what's great is she understands all the tests. She's a psych Oh yeah. A psychologist. <laughs> That is one nasty-looking banana. I know, a big a banana on a hook. I'd be insulted. I know this is like dangling watermelon to black people or something. <laughs> <laughs> now what well, are you gonna? Not... <laughs> you should just walk up to him and be like, "What is your problem? What are you trying to say?" 
<laughs> well, it's not just that. It's I mean, you you couldn't give me a decent looking banana. You get gotta give me one that's all black and bruised yeah. and nasty looking. Uh, give me a nice banana. You know, she should be just like we eat Brussels sprouts, okay? <laughs> I don't like bananas. I never liked bananas. Well, that's pretty much what she says. This is one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. I've always liked this. Love it. <laughs> I think I think she needs a clean pair of undershorts. Stinks in this monkey cage. Well, this by this time I was sort of getting a little frustrated. I'm like, why aren't they speaking? What is there, you know? Right. And and I'm glad they sort of address that. Although it's, you know, well, the thing is, is that Milo is absolutely right. If you pay attention, he doesn't have a lot to say because he's I mean, he's going to get bumped off here in just a second. But if you listen to everything he says, the few lines that he has, he's absolutely right. And if they had listened to him, they might have lived. Spoiler. <laughs> I would think that people have watched these before they're sitting down to listen to us do a commentary of them. I would think, anyway. Oh, my back. Oh, that's awesome. We got to see the whole zoo. Thanks. It was like a version of Old McDonald's Farm. It's like flipping through a viewmaster of the Los Angeles Farm or Los Angeles Zoo real quick. By Salminio. He, uh, in real life, he was murdered just, I think, like two years after this movie came out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, this came out in what? Like 72 or something? And he was murdered in 74, I think? I vaguely remember that. Wasn't it tied in somehow, I want to say, with Hogan from Hogan's Heroes? Oh, I don't know about that. We're partying together. Maybe I'm all maybe I got it all messed up. <laughs> I love it, the Kirk line right after their friend is right. killed. <laughs> I really like uh I really like him. Well, he's basically them from yeah. of the Apes. Yeah. But it's just, it's interesting that, you know, in the first movie, despite everything that's happening to Taylor in the first movie, you kind of take to Cornelius and Zira right off the bat. You know, they're just likable right out of the gate. And this guy, like you say, he's fulfilling their role in reverse in this. And uh, yeah, you kind of take to him right off the well, bat. Well, he's a likable 70s guy. He is. He's just, yeah, he's just a nice guy. He's got that sort of 70s swankiness to him, but he's like, you know, friendly and laid back. Right. Although I think it's kind of, you know, I mean, they just lost their friend. He's just like, hey. <laughs> right. They get over it real quick, though, pretty soon. Oh, my God, somebody's grilling a steak around here. Mm. <laughs> so much acting with their eyes and just. Oh, definitely posture and mannerisms have you seen the 
the documentaries for these movies? No. Because they're real. I don't know if they're on YouTube or not, but they're really good. The ones that are on the Blu-ray are good because uh, Kim Hunter's son is interviewed. And he talks about the fact that he loves this movie because oh, you know, she's that's great his mom. But yeah. yeah, she's fabulous in it, but it's her eyes. He says he, he likes to watch this movie because it's her eyes that make the character live. Here we go. Here's some more cred here. Now, this is William Wyndham playing the president. He, of course, was uh, the Commodore that goes nuts in the Doomsday Machine. Oh, Commodore yeah. Decker. Remember Decker? Yeah. Yeah. And he's put on a little half. They, have, they haven't shown him yet real good, but uh, there he is right there. The other guy, that's uh, Eric. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Braden, I think. Probably fo most famous because he's on one of those soaps. He's been on, I think it's Young and the Restless, I think. He's been on it for like 100 years, but... He played John Jacob Astor in James Cameron's Titanic. Oh, okay. I like his character because he's playing uh, a character that we just heard alluded to in the first film. Because a couple of times they had mentioned uh, Dr. Hasline. You know, the Hasline theory or Hasline curve or something like that in the right. very first movie. Now they're actually showing you the guy. Well, he's kind of Dr. Zaius in this movie. Very much so, yeah. I like William Wyndon. <laughs> I love the subtitles on the speaking French. They don't tell you what they're saying. <laughs> speaking German. <laughs> What's the next one? Probably Japanese? Yeah, speaking Japanese. That's funny. And that guy is just like, he's like out of a, cart a World War II Warner Brothers cartoon. And speaking British. <laughs> what is he saying? <gasps> Don't call them monkeys. Who's that woman in the front? She looks like a radical Black Panther woman who's <laughs> all in. Now this fella here, that's uh, John Randolph. He's been in so many movies. He was the ship captain in King Kong, another monkey movie. And maybe arguably best known these days as Clark, Gris uh, Clark Griswold's father in uh, Christmas Vacation. This whole part reminds me of like the Beatles' first press conference. <laughs> when, when your better self, I love that line. Well, it's true. They both gets really good dialogue in this movie. Well, it's true because they've they've um, established her as being outspoken and impulsive. Right. Right. It, it, she is. I mean, she's uh, she doesn't hold back, and it's to their detriment in a lot of ways in this. Yeah. That she can't keep her she can't keep her tongue she gets them into some hot water 
It's a shame that the uh, the DVDs and the Blu-rays don't have deleted scenes or like extended scenes because, again, having read the comic adaptation recently, the comic adaptation has a lot more dialogue for this scene, uh, including some questions about Taylor and stuff. And I can't help but wonder was it was that stuff filmed and then trimmed down, or did they film pretty much from a trimmed down script? I'm curious which way it went. Or did the comics just embellish on it? Yeah, that could be too. Could very well be. It's great. It's very much, you know, all three of these movies really don't have a lot happening in them. They're just like, but they have the nicest set pieces Oh yeah, where the acting can just take over. And uh, I've always thought of even well, not to not to put beneath on a higher pedestal than these movies because I I think these move this and I'm three quarters through Conquest. I I enjoy those better than more than Beneath. In a lot of ways, oh, I, but I always sort of thought of these as the really goofy. You know, as soon as it got past beneath, they stopped trying to be serious and went goofy. And this has goofy moments in it, but the goofy moments really help it along. They, they they're really the really good in it instead of uh, being stupid. And it's not a dumb movie. It's not really a, a brilliant movie. But I don't know. I would argue that. I, I think it actually is because I think that movies like this that on the surface seem easily dismissed as, oh, that's just one of those cheesy 70s. But then you sit and you, you watch it and you realize how good the acting is and how sincere. I mean, what really sells this is it's very sincere. I mean, it could devolve into just tongue-in-cheek poking fun at itself, not taking itself too seriously, and, and that would be to the detriment. I like that it it takes this kind of absurd concept and plays it completely straight. Well, it, at this point, like after the first two Planet of the Apes movies, it became, you know, this, I think it was you who said it earlier, this was Star Wars before Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. And it became a cultural phenomenon beyond, like, the story of Planet of the Apes. Right. And, you know, Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter in their roles made a big impression. So this movie almost addresses, you know, and without pandering to what people wanted to see. It was like, you know, people would be like, I mean, if I was being really, if I was old enough when this movie came out to be really skeptical and be like, all right, they're trying to stretch a third movie out of this. All right, the apes go to Earth. Okay, whatever. Um, you know, right. I would, I would, you know, but they they pull it off and they they basically use it to sort of underline the main story that they've been <laughs> te- telling moment. over and over again, which is humans are pieces of crap and apes are pieces of crap. <laughs> right. Who, and who who and now we're getting into like who made who, you know. Now, now it starts getting into time travel loops of it's just like which came first, the the monkey or the or the human. 
The movie is nicely directed. Yes. I love that moment where she slips and starts to say dissected and, uh, and has lines right on it. You see, I, it, it's funny because I just, I remember when I was a kid, it was like, oh my God, you know. But now that I think about it, I'm like, why would that be such a big deal, you know? I mean, at first you might react in horror to it, but then in, in a world where humans are in the place of monkeys, how could we judge them for dissecting humans when we're dissecting monkeys every day, you know, under the exact same circumstances? Right. See, he's got this look like, why did you say that? He also looks like what was that guy's name? That actor, Dean Jones or whatever, is in a lot. Of yeah, movies. yeah, he does actually. Yeah, he does. I never realized that before, but you're right. I just love all the old generals and congressmen, and right. they're all just classic, you know, grizzled old. You know, when the one guy sees, he's like, "They're vegetarians, sir. They we brought them oranges." Right. Dear God. <laughs> classic. Look at little little Lord Fauntleroy in the background over there. <laughs> or is that the Dutch boy? Hello. <laughs> this is a Dutch paint boy, yeah. yeah. So, we are peaceful I like this line. We are happy to be here. May we be unchained? I like that the people take great to them immediately, too. Of That's course nice. they would. Yeah, That's they would. 100% accurate. I would be, too. I mean, this is just like... If I were in the press, I'd be like, we're going to be making money off this, you know, Life magazines. It's like, we got to put the apes on the cover. That guy looks like old Billy D. Williams. <laughs> Preposterous. Blargle barble. This guy looks a little like Carl Reiner, too. Yeah, he does. And Mel Blanc. All those old guys though look alike though. <laughs> In the seventies. They all had that same hairstyle. This was when the What's funny is that see he's I, I see him and Governor Breck as being cut from the same cloth. And both of their you know, the their characters and the lines that they have to deliver could be uh, they could they could go very badly, and I think it's to Braden's uh, compliment that that he pulls it off. He really makes it work, and Breck totally does not. He is such a ridiculously over the top, you know, just right scene chewing goofy villain in that movie, and and he's one of the things that brings that movie down a serious notch for me. It's funny, the monkey acting is sort of like old-timey stage acting or, you know, silent right. movie acting. Right. We'll hold on to each other's hands and look into each other's eyes and stuff, and it works great. Yep. And I love his little, Roddy McDowell does those little sniffy sniffs yeah. all the time. Just little details. Well, they were so limited in their range of, of facial features that, I, I, again, I think it's to their compliment that 
they totally sell you on it. Because look at him. He's constantly he's working, he's doing brow. little twitches. And, yeah, exactly. Just little little things enough to make it look alive and not just a piece of foam rubber. Well, that was the thing. This This was the first time. I mean, he was limited, but at the same time, this was like the most freeing and revolutionary, like, face makeup ever put on film. Oh, absolutely. They, did, they just well, they won, the they won Oscars. All right, this... <laughs> Look at how he This is a... both simultaneously amusing and incredibly... Anno- I mean, this entire scene could be excised from the film. I, I hate to say this. is the only part of the movie that doesn't work because... Hashline's explanation is completely ridiculous. It makes no sense. Oh, it does make perfect sense if you're explaining infinity covers on comic books. Right. <laughs> so this and is it John sort of Byrne explains what the movies the movies are sort of doing this with each other what he explains with each other in a meta sort of way. But in the like how the apes got here, no, it doesn't explain No, anything. not at all. It's, he should have explained it, and then this newscaster should have been like, "Next question: Are you mad?" Right. <laughs> because that. Well, there's made, a great. I'm look not a scientist, but that still made no sense. Yeah, there, there's a look that he gives him at some point. He says something like, "Well, thank you for that explanation," but the look on his face is like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Because that didn't make any sense at all. Yeah, if if, if it was modern day, he would have said, "I appreciate that that explanation." you know what though this blew my mind as a kid right whoa dude i i you know i really think these movies and not in a bad way are like best for kids they would they're like a great training movies because kids are interested in the subject matter but there's a lot of adult stuff, you know. It's like a good first exposure to irony, and right. and allegory. You know, you can explain to your kids. Well, the apes are really, you know, commenting about people, and the people commenting about the apes commenting about the people, and the paint and the guy with his magic white painting himself over and over again. At some point, the reporter just needs to go, excuse me, what the hell does this have to do with anything? Uh, uh, excuse me, sir, I don't see a monkey in that picture anywhere. <laughs> Tell me how monkeys come in and not a... So, so painters can travel through time, is that what you're saying, sir? And he gets... Well, right here he starts talking about, like, string theory, quantum physics, you know... But start talking about parallel universes like that, then you don't start worrying about the apes, you know, ruining your um your future because you're like you're like new trek, you're in you know Right. These guys are in a new future now compared to, you know, they are not in the same timeline that they that they were before with Taylor and everything <laughs> in, in it, even though they've met him and, and all that. They're in this scene was always 
my (laughs) i love that (laughs) that was a scene they always used to show like tonight on the cbs late movie right would show that scene and i thought it was the most awesome thing you hilarious thing in the world the brown derby see turn it this is this car's turning turning the corner parking see i like this i like that the movie takes its time and and you get you know, this is where you get the the light moments, the you know the celebrity moments. Part. Yeah, before it takes that dark turn, and I really, really like that. It's, this is what endears this movie to me, and it's what makes the ending such an incredible punch in the gut. Because if you didn't already love them, these you know these vignettes we're going to get just in you know they endear the characters to me just that much more. I, I just think it's really well done. I wish this guy would have popped up from underneath and been like, yes. You're yes. <laughs> in Cornelius for the room. Why, yes. We'll send some bananas right up. Goldsmith really gets to shine on this next track. I love the next track. Well, it's very 70s. Yeah. I like that they gave him a, a <laughs> monkey toy. Seaside. Yeah. It's very charming. I love the old cars. I love how old cars like that always look like when they turn real sudden, they almost look like they'll just tip right over, That's like what flip I'm onto their back like a turtle. I love it. There's lots of that in this movie. The whole carriage just sort of leans to the side, like a, they list like boats. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I imagine that would be you at the tailor. That's great. See that look with the suit and everything. That's what uh, what's his name, Serling wanted for the first movie. Was them to basically be in the modern world, but just be apes, kind of similar to the end of the uh, the Burton film. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would have worked because that does not work for me at all. At the end of that movie, that woman looked like Jane Fonda. Yeah, she did. I like that thing she keeps doing with her mouth. <laughs> Have we done we did Fright Night, right? Oh, we did Fright Night and Fright Night 2. Did we do the second I don't, you one know, I don't know if we did them as commentaries. Yeah, I think we did a show doing both Fright Night and Fright Night 2. We should do those as commentaries sometime cuz that's those are those are other uh uh, Roddy McDowell movies that I really like. I just like him. I, I'm so sad that he's not with us anymore. <laughs> it's a good line. Well, it's the standard, you know, meeting high society. Right. But it's following a very classic arc with you know you become the toast of the town and then you get torn down 
Right. Yeah, very much so. And this is what cracks me up is it's the people who are on the yeah. <laughs> frolicking like apes. They couldn't get Walter Cronkite to deliver that line? I know, this guy's no, sir, you are no Walter Cronkite. <laughs> I love he's got his, his... Gay pride robe on? His, well, he's got his he's got his <laughs> ape slippers on, too. Right, yeah, with the big toe sticking off to the side. <laughs> he's doing that little thing with his, with his mouth again, I like that. Too bad they didn't have the scene of him at the Jungle Cruise at Disney World. Yeah, I love that line. I see. I want to. I want another movie. I want another movie with, uh, with that. Cornelius goes to Disneyland. That should be a movie. It should be a, the Disney movie of the week or something. It should be a children's book. <laughs> there you go. It'd be a great children's book. You can't tell me that these apes didn't get wet in Ape World and apes frolic. In the they don't water. like water, do they? I thought they didn't like water. Racist. I don't know. Everything I know about apes that comes from like this and King Kong. So what the <laughs> hell do I know? Tarzan. Well, Greystoke. From this scene, we know that, that chimp women are feminists. In a just sort of broad, vague sense. <laughs> Thank you for that very vague. I tell you who she reminds me of in that scene, but I, I don't want to invite hate mail, so I won't say it. <laughs> this, this guy's afro is ridiculous. <laughs> he looks like... You ever? You probably never seen any of the movies with um, Do Dolomite movies. Oh, yeah. But Dolomite had that... The guy looks like Dolomite. He's like... Those are some two. Those are two like ultra heavyweight boxers. Here's right. where you start thinking things might go south when he's just like, "This is this is horrible," and they're just like, "Ah oh, ha 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 ha!" <laughs> it's so funny that you don't like the our bloodshed. This is like every science teacher we ever had right here. <sighs> oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> she just wanders off while he's still talking. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Why is she with him anyway? That is I the most unrealistic go. museum gorilla <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> I like how the museum guy runs. He's just like, oh, no. He's a standard egghead. Look at his muscle. Yeah, he looks mm. ridiculous. Uh -huh. he looks like a puppet. Here we go. Here's Here we go into the politically incorrect center. part. Here's where it goes bad, yeah. Yeah, let's get the, the pregnant woman as much champagne as she wants. Well, that's what was cracking me up about this, because I was thinking, I wasn't thinking that this guy was trying to get her drunk. I, I was thinking that he was just being 70s and being like, oh, no, a little alcohol is good for a baby. Right. 
He looks like Dean Martin, actually, a little bit. <laughs> All it takes is one little one little glass, too, to, like, make her passing out drunk. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Uh, evidently, uh, chimps can't hold their liquor. No, I guess not. I love her hands. The hands help sell it, too. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was watching this, and I was just like, oh, no, now he's whipping out cigarettes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy's got a death wish for the baby. But you know what? The guy does sort of have a death wish against the baby. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, he is right. He, They are the threat to humankind. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's absolutely correct, yet we love these apes so much that this guy's a bad guy. I love that. I love how these movies from the first movie have reversed the apes into the protagonists, you know, and are now making you not, you know, as fond of humans. Sort of like that's sort of like the tone that Rise of the Planet of the Apes started out with. Right. Now, something I thought about was how would it affect society? Of course, you know, it doesn't go further than Hasline and the president in this movie, but how would that affect? people uh, you know society at large especially I don't to know the exact date that the earth was going to be destroyed i mean because we all know it as a vague concept that one day you know we're all thinking in the far far future you know long after mankind is you know extinct and everything that the earth will you know will disintegrate or whatever planets do but i mean people, to know that within two thousand years it's oh, all over people would freak out but then they'd be like two thousand years i mean two thousand years was the time of the bible you know and when you think right. about that you think about that as that was a long time ago you know so right, it's a long I mean, still, it's a long time in human lifespan so people would slough it off it would also give you a lot of time to make sure that you stress over and over in human culture not to uh <laughs> not, not to, to let, let the apes happen. take over you know right. you would have that you would have that different thing supposedly you know i don't know this movie the you know the uh the, you have your free will you have your multiple timelines but the Planet of the Apes movies seem to always point to just inevitable, you know, it all being an inevitable, unstoppable force, you know. No matter how you try, or even if you try, by trying, you can initiate it, you know. I think this scene between these two is brilliantly yes. acted with really, really solid dialogue because they both have very good points coming at the problem yeah. from completely different angles. No, this is when I was like, okay, this isn't a dumb movie. This is a pretty smart movie because the president's just like, hey, look, you know, this isn't going to affect anywhere outside of my, my term. <laughs> and he's also saying, you know, look, you know, people like these apes. We don't want to just kill them, but 
you know, I will kill him if, <laughs> if we find out it's absolutely necessary. I'm the president, but I don't want to just go killing, you know, cute monkeys and monkey babies. Well, what I like is that they take the time to make Hasline more than just a two-dimensional cardboard cutout villain. Because I love the moment that's coming up here where he admits to the president that he's wrestled with this morally. That he's not sure. He Right. Right here. This this is it right here, where he says that he's wrestled with it and you know, he he gives the line about, you know is he God's instrument or or is he going against the will of God, you know, if there is a I love that. It it's really nice. See, I like that. He asks him if he's against assassination. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's really kind of no wrong answer with the president. The president just wants to hear good reasons. I don't think he really cares what the answers are. He just wants good reasons for whatever this guy proposes for them to do. And I like that he's just... I, I like when they have generic presidents. He's not Nixon. Uh, who was president at this time? Was Ford president? Uh, no, was still Nixon, Nixon was I do president. believe. So he wasn't yeah. Nixon. You know, he wasn't Kennedy. He was. He's just like generic president, but he's not stupid generic president. And I mean, these guys are, you know, directly mirroring the ape council. For the first, the priest sort of looks like Nixon a little bit. One thing I do wish that they had done, though, was that right there, the president is—he's—he's he's almost on their side. He, yeah. he doesn't subscribe to what Hasline says. So all these scenes coming up are Hasline gathering his evidence and making his case. But then we skip directly to everybody's turning court presidential. The I'm, I'm just my yeah. Out. <laughs> the the president, uh, the commission, handing down their verdicts to abort the baby and sterilize Cornelius and Zira. I would have liked a follow up scene with the president himself struggling with it before he signs off on it, and we never get that, unfortunately. These guys are the wimpiest. <laughs> Maybe it's just after intense and waterboarding and stuff, but this is the the wimpy. It's just like we'll shine a light on you. We'll ask you the question louder this time. <laughs> yeah, maybe I did. If she understands the concept of drunk, then why was she drinking like that in the first yeah. place? Talk, ape. To not use the M word. Okay, this is where this movie starts to bug me right yeah. here. Yeah, this was the writer couldn't resist like him not getting these lines. 
because they happened in the movie. But well, as we've pointed out, and and I feel it really bears repeating at, at this juncture here is that these movies don't line up with each other. Unfortunately, as much as you, you can try to do little mental gymnastics right. and, and try to no prize things, they don't line up. This right here is where the movie doesn't line up both with the movies that came prior to it and the ones that would come out of it. Because I tried to no prize this scene where he, you know, Cornelius just said that he, as an archeologist, he had, access to history scrolls that were that were not available to the public of their society so my first thought was well maybe this came after the first movie because it was shown in the next movie and beneath that he was on a, a, a kind of friendly terms seemingly with uh dr zayas right. so say there were secret scrolls say that somewhere that there was, you know, the the ape Vatican that had all this secret knowledge in it, and Zaius was privy to that knowledge. So, he, you know, as was kind of heavily implied and heavily hinted in the first two movies, he did know all about man, and he did know all about the secret history of the Planet of the Apes. Say that was true. I, I can buy that to a point, but unfortunately, the way Zira is piping in while he tells this story makes it sound like, no, 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 this is something they have known all their lives. Right. This is something that they were raised as school children knowing and believing in everything. And, and the way he tells the story, too, it's not like something that they just recently learned. They're try Yeah, but they're setting up other movies, <laughs> you know. Well, they are, but the problem is, is that that doesn't work either because... Right. <laughs> He, he tells this great story, and I love the way... I, I'm not putting the movie down, because I love the way he tells this story. It's very compelling. And this is a story I would love to have seen in the movies. But unfortunately, if you pay attention to the dialogue, because I did, I took real specific notes during this part, the timeline they're talking about is about, more or less, 500 years from now. Yeah, centuries. Well, then, yeah, and the, next the next movie, movie is, like is 20, 20 years, years later. This. So it doesn't work. Not only isn't it, you know, centuries into the future, the ape's name is different, and the apes in the next movie, depending on which cut of the film that you watch, acquire the power of speech by the end of the movie, which I can't stand that. <laughs> makes me crazy because as Cornelius well, it, just explained it it takes centuries for that to develop I, so I, I have a feeling in the next movie we're going to be discussing continuity and stretches of the imagination oh, way yes. more than in this one see I don't understand why this is a, a area of contention you know what do you mean? That she would have dissected humans. That that they would find that you, you know that they're trying to pin her down as like, oh, you've dissected humans. You're you're like Dr. Mengele or something like that, you know. But she kind of was though. That's the but thing. So are so are all the. I mean, as he's speaking, we're you know humans are dissect are dissecting hundreds and hundreds of chimps. Because chimps are very you know. It, it would be the natural thing for a dominant species to do to us, you know, 
a subdominant or a, a subspecies, you know, that's similar to them. But they this this is no longer and, this is no longer just an a, a study in academia. This is a study of she she is pregnant with you know the the next generation. This they they are seeing right literally the seeds being sown of humans you know humankind's downfall so they're trying to determine you know just how how bad was it and what what do they do do they try to prevent it essentially cuz he's trying to convince the president that uh no they're not peaceful creatures at all you know the society they come from you know the humans that were there. Not only were they dumb, but they were also. It's true, but I mean, they're they're. I mean, it doesn't take. I mean, the the original Planet of the Apes was drafted <laughs> to show the apes as a parallel. You know, as a metaphor for humans. Oh yeah. As a parallel to humans, and you know now the apes have taken over and they're and you know they're different from humans, but look how much they're they're just like us. You know, so I mean. For them to be like, oh, the apes were warlike, and it's like, well, no, some of the apes were warlike, some of the apes were pacifists, some of the apes were for ape rights, some of them weren't, some of them were, you know, it's very, it's just like humans. They 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 dissected their version of of chimps, you know. It doesn't seem like it would be something, you know. It seems hypocritical to be like, it's it's not like they dissected Taylor. She, I mean, she's obviously. Right, but they don't know that. Well, she's obviously. So, well, that's true. But when they, you know, when they, when they find out, she's like, "I love Taylor," you know, and you know, you can tell that she would pretty much, you know, that that the guy who's giving her the pentothal right now would would not want to vivisect her either, unless like she right. died natural causes or something. But once. Once they know that it's a conscious, intelligent creature, she, you know, she's not, you know, vivisecting. She wasn't vivisecting. If she was vivisecting her fellow apes, that would be more alarming, you know, as to what kind of moral creature she was. So, I, you know, but when I was a kid, I, it totally made sense to me. And maybe in the 70s, it, it made more sense because it was just sort of a new concept. I don't know. But I just, you know, I'm, I'm glad that actually they're, you know, they're more into <laughs> uh, anti the apes because they could bring about the end of the world rather than, right. oh, you know, they vivisected humans. I think that's something they just maybe, maybe they were have that information because they could use that to turn them, the public against them. I don't know. I still maintain that that, you know, that's pretty sinister that, you know, Hasline, you know, he's, he's the motivating force between all this. So Hasline, he's looking at it from an angle of they're not all that they see, you know, they're, they're not as, you know, cuddly warm as they seem to be, well, that there's something sinister going on here, and he's intent on proving it. Well, also, he's like, cuddly or not, you know, he's looking at the big picture. Right. He's not looking like, oh, I, you know, these guys are, he's he's not even going to make friends with them. He right. probably could make friends with them, 
but he's going to stay cold and calculating and try to find you know and that's actually a good thing is to try to you know try to find out as much as as possible but towards the end he does definitely get more and more strident in his, right. <laughs> in his need to kill them some great looks here i, I love uh, i love the looks that dillman gets cuz you know he had that little smile when she said the room was pretty i like that and then he's hanging his head when she's given all this yep. you know too much information just digging digging her hole i like this look that hasline gives when she See right there, he has that look. See, he's he's looking at him like, see, she lied because she. They said that they didn't know Colonel Taylor, and she just admitted that they did know him. But I love that look that he gives, like like just that, you know, that justified yep. look. Yeah, no, it's that's the I got what vindicated. I needed. <laughs> yeah, vindicated. Put that on tape. Yeah. Send that tape to the president. And he's also referring to them as it. Yeah. That's always a big, big distinction. <laughs> as soon as you're, as soon as someone's referring to you as it, you're in, you're kind of in trouble. <laughs> At that point. I learned that in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Along with many things. This poor priest, he's just like, I wish I had a bigger part in this movie. All he does is get to stand up in that one part and go, Preposterous! Oh, no, he gets to... He gets to pound his fist right there, too. But that's it. He's <laughs> always outvoted, though. Humph. Harumph. I'll remind you that nobody cares what you have to say. <laughs> I like that the cut to the just one person in the in the audience this time see that's the thing is that that's i think the important distinction is that they're weighing all of this through the eyes of modern society where they're but not modern taking... society is vivisecting live apes as this guy's talking by the hundreds. Right, Labs right, have... which he admits to. He admits that. But at the moment, they're at the top of the ladder. So they're not about to just stand by idly and watch this. We have that exact happen. same coffee urn in our house, by the way. <laughs> Vintage. Vintage 70s. See, they got to keep the movie moving and everything, and I understand that. But I, I would like them to have cut back to the president one time just to see his involvement with this whole thing. This is where this is where That's it goes. Nice this is where the movie goes full seventies. Oh yeah, definitely. Where, and I don't mean like channel music and stuff like that. I mean the seventies were dark, man. The seventies. Mm -hmm. Our movies are kind of on the dark side now, but man, the 70s just were like, humans are pieces of shit, you know? All the movies were like, you know, 
basically well, it was the, it was the times we were living in. Yeah. I mean, while this movie was out, look at the horrible, horrible things that were Everything happening. Everything was being questioned. Vietnam, yeah. all that, you know, yeah, right. Hippies and and students were getting shot down and people were questioning the government and and all that. And yeah, and it just had there were just all the movies and these were the movies we saw as little kids. You yeah. know, and you know they were like the si- like silent running and and this and the the, la- the the last two Planet of the Apes movies. It's just like you know they they you follow know this... follow they don't follow like a movie about nuclear apocalypse to like the edge and then back off. It goes to its you know darkest conclusion. And this guy, this guy's. Not a bad guy. <laughs> See, I uh, this is this is a. I wonder, can we credit these types of movies then for the fact that we did survive to the present day? Was it these parables warning us of where we were headed as a society that have helped shape society? in positive ways and have kept us around for the last 40 years. You know what I mean? I'm not as much of a proponent of, and this, that's just this total seventies thing of just like, Oh, they killed him, which adds a wrinkle into it because, you know, I, I actually, if I was writing this, I would have had, you know, Cornelius just, he, he should be like distraught over the fact that he killed somebody And this. He just sort of goes it wasn't my fault. I didn't mean to, you know, he, he, I think he seems fairly distraught about it. Don't you? I think it would be like, like majorly one of the like big crushing things that could happen in like a pacifist monkey's life. If you are a true pacifist, you know, never want to kill, you know, just like the one time I resorted to violence out of anger, I killed somebody out a bit, you know, eaten up with, with guilt. That's true. I love apes on the run. This guy's hat's on <laughs> crooked. Maytag repair man. <laughs> Morning, Ralph. Morning, Sam. <laughs> Isn't that the man from Chico and the Man? It looks like him, doesn't it? Good night, Charlie. But. <laughs> Yeah, basically every 70s movie ended with everybody dead. And, uh, well, oh, I know what we were getting at. I, I, I'm not as much of a proponent as the movies being the thing that affected rather than being an effect of. So this, you know, I think we did avoid a lot of it because at this, at, at this juncture in time, people were being very conscientious of a lot of things. And it's reflected in the movies. But I don't know, you know, it, it's hard to say what what's, you know, what's causing something or if it's just feeding off it. And it could be doing a little bit of both. I'm sure there's people who might have watched a Planet of the Apes movie and had a insight into human nature. You know, however stupid that se- sounds, you know, there's people, you know, it... it, it it's it depends on what you see first you know at a young age i mean when right. i was a kid this was my first exposure to a lot of dramatic 
you know, the sort of Twilight Zone storytelling, you know, where right. where something's a metaphor for something else or an allegory for something else. and Run, everybody run, for no reason, everybody run. <laughs> <Yeah>. Look busy. <laughs> Those guys are just standing by the door just like, everybody's running in today. Ew, that's gross. It's Rorschach. <laughs> what happened? The apes have killed their orderly. Where are they? <laughs> Is that OJ? <laughs> they were all running like OJ. No, he looks more like Muhammad Ali. He does. <laughs> I told Sonny Liston I'd give him three rounds. Isn't that woman a little old to be a yeoman back there? They're carpetbaggers, too. I like that they have their carpet. <laughs> See, he didn't he didn't mean to hurt him at all. That's the that's the of tragedy course. of the thing. That's always how it is in these movies, you know, but right. But is but that I mean, that literally sealed their fate. Oh yeah. Once that happened, that's it. You 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 it's this is yep. this is There's going, no going towards back. just inevitable tragic conclusion. And and as <laughs> I mean it's the the third time out with the Planet of the Apes movie, you have to know. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking another movie we might want to tra- uh, tackle at some time. Uh, Don Taylor did uh, another classic time travel movie. Uh, did you ever see, what's the name of that? The Final Countdown, I think is the name of it. Oh, my God, I remember that. that goes back in time. Yeah, remember that movie? I, may have, I don't remember if I've seen it or not. It's actually a really good movie. I, I also remember the song from the 80s by Europe. Was it Europe? It's a, it's the oh, final I, oh, Please don't sing that. That'll get stuck in my head. It's a good thing that Hasline winds up dead at the end of the movie because uh, otherwise I think the president would have thrown him under the prison because he, he tells him di- not no, to dis- kill them. Yeah, he disobeys a direct order from the, from the president, president of the United States. Yeah. I guess if you think you're saving humankind, I guess you could. Well, see, it's for that reason alone that I can't I can't hate Hasslein because he thinks he's doing the right thing. He does believe in he's not just evil. You know what I mean? It, it would be very easy to look at him and think, right. You know, what a, what an evil, heartless bastard, but he thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks he's saving humanity, which in itself is a very noble in, hey, gesture. It's if, just the way he goes about it. If you look at it from a cold, heartless, omniscient, big-picture point of view. He's doing the right thing. He's on the right... He's the only one on the right course. Everybody else is looking at the short-term picture, you know? Right. The the, the people that are into him are just into the phenomena. It's like, oh my god, talking apes that are charming, and everybody is into that. But he's the only one who's thinking, hey, this, <laughs> they saw the earth blow up. This could be the series of events that kicks that off right here. And it is, <laughs> really. Yep. 
it's hard to say what series of events kicked it off because, I mean, it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't launched Taylor into space in the first place. Right. So, hey, my eightmobile broke down. Can I get a lift, please? <laughs> it's it's good that the series didn't go on long enough for there to actually be an eightmobile. <laughs> Although I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't like one of those crazy model kits that was an eightmobile. Probably. Now I want the ape mobile. I wonder why you never see any ape stuff like at garage sales or Goodwill or anything. Because there was a million toys and coloring books. I, I mean, think it's one of those. It's really like Mego. It's like Mego stuff. And I mean, well, it is Mego stuff too. <laughs> it, it's it's very it's collectible, you know. And even people who are just like, oh, this is old junk they know that that's like we're ah wait let me just shut up for a moment to be like yes <laughs> here's another major star trek tie right here oh yeah got con in the movie I, con and colonel and commodore decker in the same movie come on i love his character in this oh yeah i love him i love him i love him i love him he's just like yep. what you got something what the the president is against what you're doing and the whole and he's like yeah no problem <laughs> See, he gets I'll it, do it with I, that's relish. Not, yeah he he's one of the few characters in the movie that actually gets it i love his little is that mork in the background <laughs> yeah well he's a circus pe person he's a freak right he's i mean he's obviously he's not a circus freak but he's on the outside. He's on the outside, and we'll we'll see in the next ape movie where there's actually a point where one of the apes looks at a black guy and goes like, "You of all people should know right. <laughs> how us apes feel." Now this is just a slightly more realistic. <laughs> I think that's the one from Trading Places, isn't it? <laughs> Almost. I like that they use a real. The chimp baby is the 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 young chimps that they use in this are great. I don't know if they use the same chimp, in just cross cuts, but I would imagine. Baby well, we'll have to watch for that when she goes into the cage, whether there's two at the same time or not. I I would imagine it's just one of them. That's what I think. I think it was the same chip just switched out for the scenes, but it's great. I mean, oh man, I would love. <laughs> I would love to. You can tell the actors are all into the baby chimp too. Even the one guy in the oh, yeah. suit, like whenever they're holding the baby chimp, everybody's stroking its head and like just sort of offhandedly. You know, maybe that's what they had to do to keep it mellow in the film set and stuff. Aww. Well, privacy maybe. <laughs> that part's just heartbreaking. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have no shame in admitting that uh, as a kid, and, and still even now sometimes when I watch this movie, it, it, it makes me break up a little bit. It is sad. I like, uh, the documentary for this is really good if you ever get a chance to see it on the, on the Blu-ray disc. Um, but Don Taylor got it because he understood. He said that, you know, after he read the script, he understood it's a love story. At the end of the day, for all the 
parables and all the lessons it's trying to give and everything else. It's about a husband and wife. It, it's essentially, it's a love story. You know, this fugitive husband and wife. You know, and like all great love stories, it's uh, it's also, a, you know, it's also tragic. Turn the corner. <laughs> That's all they do. Hello. I wish she was in the movie more. She was in the movie more. <laughs> she was somebody's girlfriend and got a part in this movie. Something. This is a good scene, too. I love it. Just buying himself time. Yep. He's trying. I think he... I think he flubbed though. He should he should have said much more time. Yeah. That guy's mustache is just ridiculous. Why does nobody why isn't he under suspicion? Why does nobody think, hey, you know, Dixon might actually have been friendly with these things. Maybe we ought to need to keep an eye on him, restrict him to base or something, but they never do. No. So he's constantly sneaking out and assisting them. Well, it's funny because when we get to conquest you do see a sort of the like government being sort of the same, but a more progression towards like totalitarian, right? And so it's like milder in this. They're still kind of dicks, but right, they, you know, they're they they yeah, they don't even think of him as a potential enemy. They're just sort of like, yeah, he's a human like us. He looks like me, like a newscaster. He's got to be okay. It's a great scene. Well, really you need scene. one of the. You need a Heston. The, he's the Heston of the movie. <laughs> he's the actor in the right. movie, and it's it could be chewing the scenery in other movies, but in Planet of the Apes, it's almost like part of it. You know, it's like Star Trek. I think he's really solid in this. Strangely, I I don't think much of his performance in the next film, though. The next one does feel to me a little bit too. A little too Star Trek hammy, whereas this one doesn't. He comes across as very likable and very sincere. I, I really like his portrayal in this one. Well, he's at his. He's at it. This is him at his. This is his character at his peak, and in the next right. movie, he's at his downfall. He's at. That's know, true too. Yeah. You know. Well, society is at its downfall society, for that matter. Yeah, society has left the circus behind. Left him behind. And everything's going bad. Here we go. We got to see if there's actually two chimp babies in the scene here. See, I think there's a lot of cuts back and forth. Right. It's hard to see. It's hard to say there. That's too much of a. Yeah. All right, dude, your pants are too tight. What? You're wearing pants? <laughs> just almost saw little Ricardo there. Did not need to see that. <laughs> I thought you were just commenting on your pants. No, I don't like have pants you on. You know, I, you know, I never podcast with pants on. I was gonna say they were. See, these these could be totally. It looks like the same. I don't know. That one looks a little older. That was a nice look. 
Were cars really that wobbly in the 70s? I I'm glad so. I didn't drive back then. I guess they had shitty suspension in those days. <laughs> Something. This, yeah, this is where that was where the movie became sort of like the forerunner of Sophie's Choice or something. <laughs> and and it's funny because, you know, spoiler, she switched babies. Right. There, and and so from this point, I was trying to watch to see, you know. To notice what it was, her in, their interaction with the with the baby, you know, because yeah, it doesn't really change though. It doesn't change much, but you know, it, 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 at the same point, it's also because they're nice chimps and they're like it's a baby, you know. Well, see, I was trying to think. It's funny because it never really occurred to me until when I was just watching it yesterday. You know, probably my millionth time seeing the movie that would she really do that or could a mother really do that but the thing is is that they're still they think they're gonna swap back reunite yeah exactly reuniting with armando and going to florida so at this point she's they're probably just like uh you know let's just take care you know we got to take good care of this baby you know to get before we go get our other one back Why don't they just go get them a, a pair of those nose glasses, you know, with the fake mustache? Exactly. Wouldn't that work? That's a line of dialogue I really didn't like. Would they do that? With the baby and everything? I don't know. All I know is never give the monkey a gun. <laughs> He just turns and shoots both of them. <laughs> and this time I'm using tongue. <laughs> well, she delivers a line here in a little bit about, you know, they've met, <clears throat> pardon me, they've met hundreds of humans while they've been here. And she says she tr- she trusts and then she hesitates a moment. And she goes three. So I'm thinking she means Dixon and Stevie, these two here. And I guess Taylor would be the other one? I'm curious who the three are that she's actually talking about. It would have to be Taylor. Taylor? But then what about Brent? The less said about Brent, like better. <laughs> I to sweep that movie under the table as much. I guess. He was this Maybe Taylor so. light. They, they, like probably, they probably just thought he was Taylor. Because they all look alike. That would have been funny if they were just like Taylor and he's like, oh, uh, yeah, Taylor. These guys look like <laughs> the cops from THX 1138. What's that guy looking for? <laughs> he's just looking around like another... Baby Chimp's going to drop out of the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. or something. There it is up there on the rafters. Somebody feed that cheetah for God's sake. <laughs> Suckers. Negative, negative, negative. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> How 
Here's where he's starting to crack up. I, I do like, yeah. Starting to lose it, dude. I do like that scene, though. Now's the time to sit down, have a cigarette. It, it helps establish his, his motivation just a tiny bit more, which was probably needed. Well, he's... It, it, I think, psychologically, he's a control freak. And so this is the point where thing you know, he's had... They've had the monkeys under surveillance, but from this point on... The next hill over, E.T.'s looking down at the same city. Exactly. <laughs> but from this point on, it's out of it, things are out of his control, you know. Right. And and so he's seeing. He's just like we waited too. You know, he's getting crazy because he's like probably thinking we waited too long. You know, should have should have just popped him in the head when we had the chance first thing. See, but man, they kept the budget. They were very creative about keeping the budget down. Just filmed on location in California, yep. of all places. How convenient. Yep. Just found some interest, scouted out some interesting locations. Let me ask you a real, a, a very serious question. Do you think there should have been films past this one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would have, I would have, um, now I'll, I'll turn in a corner, turn in a big loop there. Um, <laughs> I might have answered that differently before rewatching this and getting most of the way through Conquest. Conquest, before we, you know, not to get into it before we get into it, but I mean, the quality. I think the quality definitely is what gonna unanimously you could just say went down <laughs> and was going more into the teeth but it wasn't losing its entertainment value to me you know what i mean there was there was always something happening that was like oh this is some cool monkey antics and they're almost committing with this one to like saying look we can play out a, there's a whole storyline we can play out and even though we know sort of from these movies what the storyline roughly is, they're proving that they can have fun with having different stories that parallel all the other stories happening in the timeline. You know, it's you're 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 coming up with a whole sort of you know, they're creating a whole sort of genre with this, you know. Right. And uh, so I would think that uh, by this point they were they were planning on doing these in depth till nobody wanted to see them anymore, which is basically what they did. But I would have I would have been all for continuing continuing this, and and I'm glad they did at least with Conquest. I know you and I uh, um, will not be doing Battle, but I'm gonna watch it anyway. So I can listen to the our guest commentators. And yeah, I, I need to rewatch. I haven't seen it in years, so that one uh, I haven't watched it yet. But uh, I, I will wa rewatch that, even though we won't be the ones doing the commentary for that one. Well, I remember even as a kid going, "Oh man, what's happened to you, Planet of the Apes?" <laughs> when I saw well, that, that's the one that to me just top to bottom doesn't work because the the budget by that point had been slashed to a point where 
they they just couldn't salvage it because conquest you know god bless them you know for for as low as the budget was they tried their absolute best yeah which they probably did with battle too but it just it couldn't be salvaged yeah. unfortunately you know don I mean, don taylor whoever it was that directed that one i mean he tried his his level best but uh it just i mean they just couldn't pull it out talk about your made for tv detective it show feel, yeah end of the show shootout oh yeah this feels the like a, the end it's of totally... an episode of barnaby jones or something yep. yeah Hey, I took a shower last week. To kill everything. Social commentary. I can't help but watch the... the baby monkey <laughs> right. whenever it's happening and it's great right. because like his eyes will look you know follow when she says something his eyes will look up at her it's great right and to to that baby monkey they must be the funniest smelling apes <laughs> he's ever seen I wonder if you can just go to these shipyards and just go hang out in the abandoned ships right. up to explore them. God, if we were little kids, we would have been all over this. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look at all the old abandoned mills and stuff we used to play in as kids. So, yeah, there had been abandoned ships around. You know we would have been playing them. So, did you hear they blew up the Defariate paper mill? No. Yeah, they blew up the deferriate paper mill and the rumor is that they used a bunker buster Ugh. to do it from Fort Drum they were they wanted to test one out and they used it to demolish the deferriate huh. paper mill I remember taking a tour of that when I was a kid hmm. I want to have a secret hideout on a abandoned boat love the music I absolutely love the music in this It so totally works. It's not quite as weird and experimental as this one for the first movie, but it's it still feels like a natural outgrowth. Yeah. No, I think I he I think he I think he tried to make it a little more you know, since it's set on human earth, I think he tried to make it like more on the human side with eight right. overtones instead of it being before was ape overtones with human music or you know ape music dominant with human music overtones because it was almost pure twilight zone music in the first movie there was another uh famous you know famous movie and then a sequel that uh had sort of the same thing which was jaws you know there was jaws and then jaws 2 and for all their similarities, two completely dissimilar scores that work incredibly well in their independent films. And I think that's much of the same thing you have here. You know, the same composer doing the first and the third movies, incredibly similar, yet incredibly it, it, dissimilar yeah. scores yeah. at the same rate that, that work, you know, totally well for the two different 
settings of the two different movies. It's just it really speaks to you know the talent of uh, of Goldsmith and the thought put he, into it. Oh, absolutely. Because he could have, he could have just phoned it in. He could have just recycled, you know, the original score, but he didn't. He he composed something completely original that sounds completely original while being reminiscent of the first one. It's it's a really fantastic score. I think it's uh, it has become historically speaking. I think it's become one of his underappreciated scores because it is a rather short score, you know, album wise, and because it has. You know that that '70s sound. I, I think it's it's often dismissed, but I really enjoy it. I think it's a solid one. See, so you feel for him, but that's sinister. Oh <laughs> so yeah, you had your baby. <laughs> Give it to me, or I'll shoot you. <laughs> I like the simultaneous fear and defiance in her eyes. Yes. Again, I mean, her performance is all eyes. And I like that look that she gave him before she ran that, you know, you could see she was scared, but at the same rate, she was defiant. She wants to fight. Yeah. This part kills me every time I watch this just slays me. Yeah. Because it it is hard to watch because they're just so incredibly likable. Now, do you think that do you think they're um, playing a little King Kong? You know, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point. I had not thought of that at all, but yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah, he's afraid of being stopped. Yes, uh, that's that's the thing is it's, he's uh, that's that's when they really that's a nice illustration of he's not really doing what he's supposed to be doing. No, he's out of line now. No, he's he's also afraid they might shoot him too. You know. It's a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of Johnny from the Dead Zone, you know, yes. where where he knows he's probably not. Well, I don't know if he doesn't know that he won't live through it, but you know, he knows he's he knows he's out. On he plan. wouldn't be applauded for what he's about to do, but he feels like it's his destiny, like he has to do yeah. this. It's kind of quaint, though. The like. Just like a few police cars and a couple jeeps showing up, and, and like right. in a modern movie, it would be just like armadas encircling right. them. And this is like some guys, you know. Yeah, this music is great. Yeah. This is a good shot for a pacifist. Yeah, it's... yeah, as a little kid, this was quite ex- that part oh, yeah. got me horrible. This part Great. is just yeah. Oh! yeah, that's Come 
both of their deaths hit me hard, but especially just the way he falls like that is just now. Why brutal. did she do this? Why does she? Why do you think? She, I don't understand her motivation for throwing the baby in the water. Does she think they're not going to recover it? Um, because maybe that's it, but I don't know. I thought this was touching that they actually have her crawl to him to die. And she gives a little sob. That's, ah, just kills me. So sad. Classic. Just kills me. See, this is this is a shot that mirrors that helicopter shot at the beginning. Beautiful. The the camera follows the tent pole right down. It's a beautiful shot. Right. I love this. This is a great ending for this. But I wish that uh, the rocking back and forth. Of yeah, the, the, of the film. maybe there was nothing they could do about it in the '70s. But these days, there's got to be a way to re-edit that. Because it's very obvious that it's going. <laughs> it's the sand person going. Right. Yeah. Very much so. But great kicker ending. It just, yeah. Gets me right where I live, man. It is. It's, it's, it's the it's, old it's, monkey, doesn't it? It does. It's it's a. It's a tearjerker of an ending. What a great movie, though. I, man, I really like this one. Really, really like this one. Oh yeah, I was, I was so happy when I got about fifteen minutes into this. I was just like, oh my god, I am, because frankly, I was a little worried about the later part of Monkey Month, and now I'm not worried at all. <laughs> I'm not worried about it because for all my criticisms of Conquest, I can watch it and I can enjoy it and there are parts of it that I like. The only one that had me truly worried was the very last one because I don't have anything well, nice to say about and it. There and was, thankfully, we're being let off the hook with that one, well, so I really appreciate that. Well, I'm also glad that we're not doing like the hashed together television show movies or the you know yeah remember that they would they would hash the television shows and i can't remember what their titles were i i remember one or two of them it was like life liberty and pursuit on the planet of the apes yeah. and i think one of them was just simply called return to the planet of the apes i was never a fan of the tv show so yeah um, i think we, it would have are... been a really it would have been it would be fun to do an episode of the tv show you know, like the first right. episode or something like that, or one randomly from the middle. But, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine that uh, that history must bear us out in that, because the show only lasted, what was it, like 14 episodes or something. So I I'm think thinking they got that... got like three two-hour movies out of it, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it can't... You know, you would think anyway. It can't be that great if it if it didn't you know have staying power. I remember all I remember about it from when I was a kid was the humans were hiding out up in a cave, sort of like um, 
Um, oh, what was that? What was that show with the sleaze stacks? Oh, uh, Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost. And at one point, there was a sort of ape's hang glider that somebody, like some ape inventor, had made, and that it ha- that had even as a kid, I saw the most obvious like guide wires <laughs> on it. It was sort of it was sort of like the Ewok hang gliders, actually. Come right. to think of it. It's funny because that's what I, I was picturing in my yeah. head was the Ewok hang gliders. All I really know about it is that uh, you know it started those two guys that looked a hell of a lot like Starsky and Hutch essentially, right. and then uh, one of the main apes on the show was uh, was Mark Leonard, um, Spock's father. Oh, so again, there's another uh, Star Trek connection with Planet of the Apes. But that's all I can really remember about it. I mean, I I know I watched it as a kid, and then years ago, back in this was probably the Oh, I don't know, late 80s to 90s. Remember, there was there was that resurgence for a time of Planet of the Apes. You know, had had like a resurgence in popularity. Yes. And I remember, you know, that's when all those, t- you know, the, the TV show was re-edited into like made-for-TV movies. And they used to play the hell out of them on, what was that, like TBS or something, or the, yep. you know, one of those Superstation type of things. And I taped them. I can remember video recording them and watching some of them and just thinking, wow, these are really not good. Tape right over but, these. Yeah, nothing nothing stuck, you know, stuck with me. Because at that time, that was... Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman over these. <laughs> I mean, that that's a time, I'm ashamed to admit it now, but that's at a time when, you know, if, if there was a movie playing, you know, late at night and I'd set the VCR, I didn't know the difference between something like, say, Escape from the Planet of the Apes and... Life, Liberty, and Pursuit on the Planet of the Apes. I didn't know that like one yeah. was part of the theatrical series and one was part of the T. I didn't know, and it took me a while to kind of cipher all that out because you got to remember this was like, you know, pre-internet and all that. Right. So you know, you just had to kind of figure it all out, which was actually kind of the fun of it too, was figuring out. I always had the psychotronic you know, order in the of the film. movies, and mm, see, I didn't have access to any of that, so it just took me a while to kind of cipher out you know okay how many of these movies are there and what the hell is the order and all that sort of thing but it's it's been a fun it's been a fun discovery over time i when i really got into it was when they came out on video because i can remember that being a big deal i keep meaning to uh to do a search on youtube and see if i can find any of the um you know, they had great little like promotional trailers on a lot of the Fox videos of that era, you know, promoting the VHS release of Planet of the Apes, you know, the Planet of the Apes series uh, when it came out. I don't know what year that was, but I remember it being a big deal because each of the boxes for each of the films was a different like day glow type of color. Uh-huh. So it was like an orange one and a purple one. And I forget what the other colors are. And then I think there was a box set of them too, and they weren't terribly expensive because I remember I, I, I had, I think I had the first three that I bought, and then they came out with a box set, and I was like, damn, well now I've already bought the the first three, so I didn't I didn't ever buy all five of them store bought, but I had watched them. But I think I owned the first three as you know as actual store bought VHSs, and then I think I just rented the the other two. Because I, I just never cared for those two as much as the other ones, but ah, love that stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, the comic got started on really... the cartoons. 
Yeah. Well, see, we're we're at some point, and I'm not sure how in the world we're gonna we're gonna work it. We'll have to figure out a timeline to to make it happen. But uh, you know, we're gonna do like a catch-all episode that'll kind of cover everything else. You know, the toys and all that. And I figure that's what we'll talk. You know, whatever talk we get in as far as the TV show and the cartoon and everything. That's kind of where it will fall in because I don't want to give it short shrift. I just don't have that much to say about it because I don't remember it. Right, right. I don't know that I ever watched the cartoon. I know I watched some of the TV show, and again, I don't remember it, but I know I watched it. But the cartoon, I don't think I ever watched the cartoon because I didn't. I didn't really like that anime. You know that Johnny, what was his name, Johnny Quest style of of animation. Well, I just was, never really liked it. It's more like the Star Trek animated. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's filmation. Oh, is it filmation? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is filmation. I never liked it. You know, what little I've seen of it, I never cared for it. Plus, it was uh, it, it didn't match up with the movie. Oh no! It started it started out with a new. You know, it was like it started out just sort of fresh. It was very rebootish. It was a, yeah. a fresh set of astronauts landing on the planet of the apes and sort of reliving the story. You know, well, wasn't it much more in line with uh, with Bulls? Novel Maybe. too, where they like drove cars and stuff. I oh, I don't think so. No, I think it was more, pretty much the same. Yeah. I have to. I I just was looking at the the original Bull novel today, and I haven't read that since middle school. So um, I've never read it. It's it's a good book. I've tried. I tried to read it once. Uh, again, when I first got really sucked into Planet of the Apes, and I just. I don't know. I, I've never different. been a so yeah. It's... It is, and I've never been a fan of that because anytime I, there's ever been a movie that I loved, that was based on a book, but they like greatly changed it for the movie, and I try to go back and read the original book, I never like it because the uh, same thing happened to me with like Logan's Run and Blade Runner. I yeah. went back to read the original stories and was like, "Ooh, this sucks," because it's not the movie, right? So I don't know. I appreciate them for what they are, but I want more of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much all I got on this one. Again, love it. Love it, love it. Yep, and uh, next next Monday, we will be traveling to the far-flung future of what? 1991, I believe? 1991, yes. It's going to get crazy and futuristic. shop at amazon.com please consider using the link at two truefreaks.com to shop there if you use this link to go to amazon and then you shop two true freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time
visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.